Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 26. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is the word of God. We are in part four of our series called Eternal Rewards, and it is a series about stewardship. And it's not an easy subject. We're talking about money. And um, it's something that, you know, it wraps through so much of our life. And will we approach money in God's way and with God's heart and in his power? That's really what we're talking about. And um, I know this is actually the fourth message about this, and I'll say a little something about that. Um, but uh, let's get into it, okay? So part one, faithful with little things, right? That's actually how Jesus looks at money. <laughs> he looks at it as a, a little thing. And I'll, tell you, I'll say a little something about that. Faithful with little things. Part two, using treasure unto love. In the second part of my message, which I, I, I want to be the lion's share, I want to give you some stories, some examples and um, it's actually a big part of why I want to get into one more message on this important subject. And I want to close by talking about what I'm going to call eating and drinking love forever. Eating and drinking, not food, not, you know, not like drinks and then, you know, like worried about our clothing as Jesus talks about, but will you eat and drink of love forever? And you can start in that today, <laughs> It has something to do with how we think about our material possessions and about money here in, in, this, in this life, all right? So um, let's start with this, uh, this, this part one. Um, I want to give you um, just some thinking about this. I, I wrestled much this week. I, I was praying this much. Uh, in the, in originally, in the way I constructed this series, I thought I would, you know, we're going to have uh, about five messages on stewardship, which means to, to be in charge of something that someone else knows. For those of you who aren't used to this language of stewardship, it means um, that all that we have, that if you, you know, if you believe in Jesus, that really, like, he has bought you with a price. Your money, your money is really not your money. It's actually, it belongs to him. Your time is not your time. It's his time. Your talents is actually, it's his. And you, there will be an accounting for this. And that if you look at your life correctly, that you're always aware that this stuff that you own, so let's just talk about, you know, since we're talking about money and, and material, um, material possessions, that this stuff that you own is really, actually doesn't fully belong to you, but you get to be in charge of it, 
and you'll be called to account for the one who, who is really your Lord. That's what we're talking about. And, um, you know, I, I really wrestled with this. Originally, I was going to do th- uh, three messages on, on money and material goods, and then I was going to do one on time and one on our talents. And this week, I thought, okay, here's time to shift gears. But after listening to that testimony last week, we had a beautiful testimony by a brother who was not part of our church. I really was uh, chewing on that testimony and praying about this. And um, how tremendously important this subject is for, for the kind of church that we want to be for this place. This very, very money-saturated and money-preoccupied place called Silicon Valley. It's highly expensive, very, very stressful. And whether we want to admit this or not, it's, it's like it's all about money. <laughs> it's all about money here. And everything, um, like I mentioned, just the, the clothes we wear and the car we drive and what neighbor we live in and, and then what schools we want to send our kids and what schools we want to go to, quite frankly, it's all about money. It always comes back to money. And I'll give you this quote. Um, this, this is something that, uh, you know, one of my favorite preachers is Timothy Keller. And he said this many years ago, and, um, and it's always stuck with me. And it's so true of where we live. He, he put it this way, in the world... People are generous, he's talking about this world and our country now. In this world, people are generous with their bodies, but stingy with their money. (laughs) But in the kingdom of God, people are stingy with their bodies and generous with their money. (laughs) And isn't that so true? You know, I don't don't want to get too much into the the, the subject of sex, but it's funny. People are generous with their bodies because this is the only you know, life I've got and my body's going to run down and, you know, while I'm sexy, you know, I might as well enjoy myself and, you know, I can be generous with my body and enjoy other people's bodies. But money, this is the only life I've got. I may only live 80 or 90 or 100 years. This money, it's got, there's only so much of it. And it's, it's got to go to the things that I care about. <laughs> so we're very strange about their money. But if you really are redeemed by an eternal God and an eternal salvation... And he offers you by grace eternal riches and a forgiveness which can never be taken away from you. Then, you know, we live life a different way. You know, our body doesn't just belong to ourselves. It's, it's actually an eternal. You know, your, your body's going to die, and, but you're going to be given a body that's something like this body, a resurrection body. And then we have to, we have to, we should treat it with a certain respect and this body can only be given in a special kind of love. That's, that's, that's the command and the, and the wisdom of God. But money, money, I mean, come on. Money, as, as I, that illustration I gave you a, a few weeks ago, which some of you said was like, whoa. It's kind of like, you know, uh, I, this illustration I gave you a few weeks ago is like, imagine you live in the Civil War and you live in the South. And the war, you know the war is going to be over soon. And over time, you've amassed quite a bit of Confederate money. Well, you know that after the war is over, your Confederate money is going to be not worth much. Well, in this life, all the money is Confederate money. You get it? And, uh, but, but the money is useful and very, very important for eternal things. And the real eternal treasure is what I want to offer to you is love. That's what it's about. Money is a very, very important tool, and it's a very, very important demonstration of what you care about. And in heaven, love is forever. <laughs> it's the most, it's the highest thing. And on this earth, will the money serve love, 
or will love always be limited by the fact that we care more about money? That's the difference. That's the, the dividing line. And I want to ask you this question. As we, you know, I'll give you one more. I want to give you one more. I know it's not easy to keep hearing messages about money and, and treasure and material possessions, but you know, our neighbors in this city, they can't just hear that Christians actually believe in heaven or actually believe that the love of God is more important than money. They have to see it. They must see people who believe, we really believe that money is Confederate money, <laughs> but love is forever. They must see that. And that they must actually see a people that, are, that is generous with their money, but stingy with their bodies because we believe in eternity. So I want to ask you this question, how do you really, really want to live? Not just for the sake of our neighbors, but how do you want to live? All throughout these, these messages, I've been offering you this promise from Jesus that there is eternal reward if you will live in this way. There's a deep and profound eternal reward. Do you want to live inside of that? Or do you want to live for a reward that's really confederate money? And it's going to go away. And a lot sooner than you think, as our, as our sister Grace prayed about, you know, that these things, you know, there's death and scarcity. But if you live in the scarcity of today, if you live in that scarcity of today, you know, that these things that we think are so important, well, you'll soon find out they're not so important. Now, I want to offer you, I've, I've, I've kind of blitzed you with a, a number of passages and, in the, and last week, I gave you a number of passages of different rewards and promises in the here and now that if you will live in this, in this promise of the way Jesus is saying, eternal rewards today. But I want to give you two principles that Jesus, talk, I mean, Jesus talks a lot about money. Um, if anything, he talks about money a lot more than most preachers because most preachers, they know that if we talk about money, then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to stick your job on the line, all right? Usually people don't want to hear too much about that from the pulpit. But he talks a lot about it. And I want to give you two other principles that Jesus says and just to challenge you how you can think about the whole of your life in regard to the question of treasure, okay? So the first one is from Luke chapter 16. And he goes like this. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. This is the principle. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth. So you see, I'm not making this. I mean, this, the context is money. <laughs> if you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Let's just stop for a moment here. In this world, how do you know if a person has riches? It's easy. Look at his bank account. Look at um, the equity in his house. Look at his stock portfolio. That's how you know if a person has riches, but not to Jesus. <laughs> to Jesus, if you have money, those are, if you are, that's like, those are little things. Those are small things. Those are not things that are actually worth a lot. Can you be faithful with the things that aren't really worth much? I don't even think Jesus would think Confederate money is even, that's, he would say, yeah, that's Confederate money. It's less than that even. Can you be faithful with that? And yet we do. We lie about these things. We're, we are often dishonest about these things. 
we cheat on our taxes and we lie to other people. And it's a very common thing that people put on better clothes than they can quite afford because they want to project to the world that I have more than we actually have. We, that's a, just a common thing. I'm not trying to like make you feel especially bad about yourself, but it's so normal in our society that this is how we act. But then Jesus says, if you can't even be faithful in those things, how can you get actual true riches? So here's the principle that I want to leave you with. He who is faithful in little will be given much. Can you think this way when you live your life, that there's a God and he's paying attention? Do you care about the things that I care about and the things that are really, really valuable? Or are you constantly fixated and fearful and anxious about the things that really aren't much? So he's watching you. Will you be faithful in the things that are little? goes on to say this, verse 12. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Exact same words as Matthew chapter 6. Exactly the same. Again, this question. Will you be faithful in that which is According to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the one who's going to be Lord forever, it isn't much. So I want to ask you this question. How do you want to live? Do you want real, true riches? Is this just some weird talk, some kind of weird religion-y talk? Or is there some, is heaven a very real thing? Is eternal, very eternity, very, very real? And this God, this King, he says, I want to give you true riches. Are you ready for it? You ready for it? And one thing he's asking of you is, will you be faithful with the little things? Then I can give you bigger things. Now, I'll give you a second one. This is from Mark chapter 4. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So I know you all got ears, but do you have spiritual ears? Can you hear this? This is something Jesus regularly says. You have ears to hear? Let's hear it. And this is what he says. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use, not just the way you hear it, but the way you actually use the words you hear. Will you actually apply these words that you hear? It will be measured back to you, and still more will be given to you, if you can hear. And here's the, here's the principle. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And here he's not just talking about money. He's talking about spiritual riches, truth, deep truth. If you have more of the truth living inside of you, you have God's word living in you, and it shows because you use it, you apply it, then those who have, you'll be given more. It's a similar idea. Can you be given richer things, bigger rewards? This is a little tougher way that Jesus is putting it. But this is, these aren't just my words. These are Jesus' rewards. His words, and he is the one who will give you rewards. He is the one that will say, real true riches can be given to this son of God or this daughter of God because he knows what is truly, she knows what is truly, truly valuable. I'm asking you that question. So that's part one. Faithful with little things. Um, in the... In the in the meat of my message today, I want to talk about part two. Will you use treasures, little things, <laughs> earthly treasure, for love?
That's the thing that God really cares about. And um, I was thinking much about uh, what our brother Glenn shared. You know what makes his testimony so beautiful? Um, he learned really important things that he, that he wasn't going to live inside of transactional relationships. All his relationships are be what, you know, what I said to you a couple weeks ago, true relational relationships. Love was going to be in the middle of these relationships. And he was going to use all that he had. And it's actually really not easy because we're so, <laughs> we're so uh, like bent out of shape by money. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's like this. If somebody has more money and then wants to help out a person who has less and then wants to use some of his wealth, we're not even sure that that's going to work out well because if I give some of what I have for this person, will this person, this person, we have all these like so much cynicism. We're like, maybe he's just doing it because then, wow, that's a big gift. I guess I will just owe him, won't I? <laughs> and then, then it's not about love. It's like something out of the mob, you know, the mob, <laughs> the mob boss does something for you and then you owe. <laughs> but that's not God's way. Heaven's way is radical grace. You know, grace is not just some religion thing. It's the culture of heaven itself. When you receive real grace, grace is the way and pattern of love itself. You know, um, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, someone gives to you and you owe them and you're on the hook, right? But only if you can do, have the certain kind of humility and character that when you operate this way, other people know that you operate this way. Then only then you can actually begin to even move in this way. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's not just about money. Then in order for you to be able to give love and serious money, you actually have to move into a place of deep humility and profound honesty that other people can trust. And I, that's one of the things that I found so moving about Glenn's testimony. And I want to give you some, um, some examples, all right? So let me tell you the first example. And this is a, I met a, a brother like Glenn many years ago. And this is a story, it's a very personal story. And it's a story about our family. And I want to tell you the story because this is a time when we were in need. We were the ones who were poor. <laughs> and we needed somebody to come alongside of us and not look down on us and never offer a piece of help where we felt like, if we receive this piece, I'm on the hook, aren't I? Because <laughs> if that's the case, that's not about love, it's about power. And it's not really about grace it's about, you know, now I'm in debt. I'm in a bigger debt, right? This, can it be given where there's no debt? It's just freely good. So I'll tell you the story. It goes back to, um, so for those of you who don't know, I, I, I spent a number of years in a PhD program in systematic theology at Westminster Seminary. And um, when you're a PhD student at Westminster Seminary studying systematic theology, you are going poor. <laughs> you are poor and you're becoming poorer. I mean, um, that, unless you're rich and we weren't. So we were pretty poor at this time in our life and we're barely making it. But um, in about 2005, um, my mother-in-law, Grace's mother, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And this was not an easy time in our life, as you can imagine. And um, she, she hung on for more than two years. And that was a great blessing to us 
that we got her longer than we thought we'd get her. But uh, toward the latter portion, as you can imagine, you know, you're, you know, she goes into hospice care, and there's, a, you know, it's the kind of thing. Let me just just share with you. Um, when somebody you know is losing a loved one, there is the pain of that, the pain of loss. But there's other, there's other pains that come along with it. So, um, you know, my mother-in-law, Grace's mother passed away, and um, we have to pay for a funeral. And guess what? Most families, like a lot of families, we weren't ready. My father-in-law didn't have money set aside. My brother-in-law, my sister, none of us had money for this. And so we had a family meeting. It was going to cost an X amount of money, and it's not a small amount of money. We got to get the plot, we got to get the casket, all these stuff, and it's not small. And um, we want to bury our mom with honor and with real love. And um, so we made this agreement that you know, each of the, you know, my, my father-in-law, we really didn't want my father-in-law to be, you know, Grace's dad, my dad to be burdened with this in this time of great pain. And so um, his children, we got together <laughs> and we talked about how we were going to divvy up some of the costs and each of us were going to bear some of the costs. So, um, you know, we didn't have this money. <laughs> it, was, um, it was a good chunk of money. I don't remember the exact amount of money but it was, a, it was a serious amount of money for us. Um, if, you make, if you live in Silicon Valley, maybe it wouldn't be a, a big amount of money for you, but for us, when, we were, when you're a poor graduate student, it was, a, it was a real amount of money for us, and we didn't have it. And so I just said yes. And I was like, worst case, we're just going to debt, and uh, we'll just do it that way. But I started praying about this, and um, said, so how can, Lord, we, we need this, and uh, we don't have it. And um, so I came up with a plan. And I, this was an interesting plan. What had happened was, I'll tell you, that, so you need a little, just a little backstory. But a few years before that, um, our, I got into a car accident. Well, it wasn't a car accident. Our car, <laughs> we had this crazy fire. I won't go into the details, but the car went up in smoke in, fi in a fire, and we lost our car. <laughs> and... Um, and, uh, the, and then we, we need to replace this car. And, the, you know, the, the, the insurance company gave us a chunk of money. So that's the amount of money I had to buy a car, right? And um, so I started looking around in the used car market. And back then, we wanted to buy a Subaru. So for just to give you a little tip, you didn't know you were going to get this. This is just a bonus. If you ever move to the East Coast and you never want to get stuck in the snow, buy a Subaru. <laughs> All right? So because I drive a, I, I, well, we drove a Jeep. And it got stuck. I was like, that stinks. Okay, if you get stuck in the snow in, in, in a blizzard, that's terrible. So and I found out Subarus are the best. So I said, okay, we're getting that. And so I drove, we drove a Subaru for a while, and it was fantastic. And that's what, you know, went up in smoke, and I was like, oh, terrible. So I knew I was, I was going to buy a Subaru. And, um, looking, and I was looking on the ads, and there was one, um, there was a car up for sales, a Subaru, and the price was way too low. It was way too low. And I looked at that thing going, oh my goodness, either there's a miracle behind this thing, there's some special little thing from God that's going to give us a good deal on a car, or 
this, there's a, this, this guy stole this car and it's a total ripoff. But I don't know, maybe there's a miracle behind this thing. So I called this guy up, and totally thinking like 99% likelihood it's going to be a ripoff. Called this guy and I said, hey, is this real? Why is this car so cheap? Okay, that's the first, that was immediately he <laughs> picked up. <laughs> Why is this car so cheap? And he said, he goes, oh, well, he goes, I have this business and um, what I do is I buy cars at auctions, use Subarus. I totally know the value of all these cars. I buy them at auction and then I sell them for a very skinny profit and I sell most of them to dealerships because there's a huge market for these things on the East Coast, okay? Not in California, but in the East Coast there is. And, um, and, uh, and every now and then I have a few left over and I sell them because, I, because, because uh, I'm an elder at my church. I'm an elder at my church and I keep some of these because sometimes there's a widow and they need this car. Or um, I'm a chaplain <laughs> at the local jail. And when a guy comes out of prison, he needs a car. Otherwise, he can't get a job. So I keep a few extra ones aside. And occasionally, then I end up with these extras. And so I sell it for below market price. And I was going, whoa. <laughs> it's like a miracle. <laughs> I was like crazy, right? And, um, and, uh, and then he goes, what do you do for, he goes, what do you do for a living? And I go, oh, I'm a PhD student at Westminster Center. He goes, oh, I know that seminary, great seminary. He goes, want the car? I was like, well, that particular car doesn't quite fit my needs. What I really need is something cheaper. <laughs> it's even cheaper because this is how much money I got from my insurance settlement. You think you can get me a deal on that? He goes, oh, that sounds great. I'll do that. Can you give me a week? I think I can get you something really good. A week later, we met, and he got me. So, okay, I remember the exact numbers. I want to say the car was worth on the, you know, you go on the, the, the websites like on, you know, Kelly, it was like, it was worth like $7,000. I was going to hand him $4,500. He got me a car that was worth thousands of dollars above the money I had. And it, was, it had a couple little bit of issues. The car ran a little rough, and the fuel gauge didn't work. <laughs> it, was a, it was a little busted, okay? Other than that, the car ran perfectly. And that car, every time I drove that car, I mean, it was kind of dumpy as a station wagon. I was like, car from God. <laughs> it's awesome. But a couple years later, after my mother-in-law passed away, you know what I decided to do? sell that car because so I'm going to sell this car and then I'll buy a cheaper car <laughs> with the difference and then there's a little weird things I had this credit card where like every time you know you make a purchase you get a you know you get a little they give you like two percent back but you can't just get money back you have to buy another car <laughs> a used car would count so after you buy another car you can claim the rebate and they would give I think I had like about twelve hundred dollars so I called up my friend. By this, we're like, we're, like he, he talked to me like a brother. And I called him, I said, hey, you remember me? And he goes, oh, totally, I remember you. I just called him Bob. I said, Bob, you remember me? I, I have this need. My, no, my mother-in-law passed away. And um, I need a cheaper car. And then I need some money. And so, you think you can get me another car? He said, no problem, Susan. A week later, 
the guy who I led small group with, we hopped into a car. It was like an hour away. It wasn't easy to go get this car. We drove up there. It was like, we walked out. The guy, the guy who, who I led small, he's like a six foot two, like big white dude who weighs like 275. And then there's like me. And then like the two of us went out and I walked up to, him, to Bob and immediately he just opened his arms and we embraced. And then... He took me out to the Subaru, which, by the way, was nicer than the previous one. Yes, it had some issues. It had some rust issues. <laughs> and a couple of issues. He goes, uh, you should check the oil often. <laughs> That's what he said. I said, but it drove like a beaut. And um, so then we sold the other car. And um, that's how the Lord provided for us. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because if there isn't a guy like Bob, you know how painful it would have been for me and Grace that we could not contribute properly to say goodbye to mom. And especially as a man, I'm just telling you as a man, as a man, if I cannot like, be the head of my family and provide for my wife and my family in this really you know, this important time of need, that would just be like a really serious wound. And yet, the Lord gave me this brother who blessed me twice, <laughs> right? And it wasn't, and, it's the, and I'm grateful for the cars, but I will always be grateful for the gift that we were able to give for mom. <laughs> and in eternity, and on the other side of the resurrection, I'm gonna invite Bob to dinner and I'm going to introduce him to mom. <laughs> That'll be a great day. That'll be a great day. <laughs> See, this is how you can use your money. This is like, this is how the heavenly economy works, right? And I, I just want you to know, um, there's going to be people in your life. God will give you a chance. You look for those chances. And can you be like Bob, be like Glenn, right? And um, there will be a love reward. Maybe a second story. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, like the, the core members of this church, you know, we're a new church, revived church, um, were planted out of a church called New Hope. And uh, it's, you know, it's a church, it's a Korean-American immigrant church that's not too far from here in Santa Clara. And a number of years ago, in, in early 2000s, um, the church was in a building campaign to buy a new property. And uh, the church was not in a, in a good time. <laughs> it was a painful time, and um, they had a new lead pastor. The church was not really well united on this, and not everybody was very optimistic that if they put out a building campaign, and just you can just think about it, it's Silicon Valley um, trying to buy a building in Silicon, it's hard, it's expensive, it's hard in all kinds of other ways too, just finding a building that's even appropriate, finding a building where the city will give you the zoning permit to be a church, all those things are hard, right? And then of course, your church is not especially very unified. And so the leadership, the elders and the deacons discussed this thing, but like we're in this, they were in a building that wasn't working for them. 
and they felt like, you know, some were like, we need to go into a new place for this is what the Lord wants of us so our church can go to our next chapter. And so the elders and deacons were not very united about this, but they came to an agreement, you know, in a hesitant agreement to do a building campaign. And they set this thing forward before the church and um, they were shocked at the result. So the day came for the offerings to come in and, um, and the money came in. The church gave. They gave above and beyond what the elders and deacons and the, they were stunned. Even the, 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 the doubters inside the, the council that, that didn't think that this would happen were stunned by the result, right? But there's one particular story that I want to share with you. And I know about this because the lead pastor who went through that is, this is Pastor Kyung Lee, and he told me this story. And of course, I won't, I won't name any names. But Pastor Lee told me this story. He said, the, the elder who was in charge of the finance, so he counted all the offerings. It's a big day, important day. And he was counting all the offerings. And one special offering came up, and it was like this. He knew gave it, it was in an envelope, but the envelope wasn't like, a, it was like big. <laughs> and in the envelope was this roll of money, of small bills, probably like tens and twenties, right? And it was a lot. It had been rolled up, and it had been put in this envelope, and then they put their name on it, and they gave it to the Lord for this offering. And it was from an elderly couple inside the church, they were an unassuming couple, and I won't say their names, of course, and um, you know, nobody would see them as like having big pull or high respect inside the church. They're very, very unassuming people inside the church. And the elder looked at this roll of money, of small bills, and he sat there and went like this. And he started crying, because he knew what it meant. This elderly couple who don't have much money, over the years, they just socked away these small bills. It's probably literally the kind of thing where they put it in a, in a little safe in their closet or sh literally probably shove it under a mattress. And they've been accumulating this money for many, many years. And, this, uh, and then here is this time, and they, who knows what they were saving it for? But this opportunity came to give it to the Lord, and they gave it to him. Now for many of you, on some of you, who you grew up in that building. Some of you were literally saved in that building. Some of you came out of this building and you saw kids get saved in that church. You saw adults get saved in that church. You saw people weep in that church. You saw people walk into that church, broken people, and they cried before God. And that building was the house of mercy, was the house of grace. And that was of tremendous sacrifice. That was a gift for many of you and for me. And that gift just keeps giving. It's a gift that she's giving and giving and giving. They don't even go to that church anymore. You know, and I think, um, I think, um, I think the, the, the husband, the father, he's passed away. <laughs> but that couple keeps giving. It's a gift of love. And you know, I think, uh, I, th I think about this. There's going to be a special dinner. All the people who gave for that church building, they'll be honored. And we'll all get to come. All generations of people will be able to come and say, 
We love you. You know, Pastor Lee said to me, he said, you know, Pastor Suzong, if I had seen that money, I think I would have started crying too. And I sat, I sat there and I said, I want to cry right now. All right, let me give you another story. Related to that story. It's actually related. Okay? So, so Pastor Lee won't want me to tell this story, but he'll forgive me. <laughs> he told me this story. So he has to lead this campaign as a pastor. The church is not very unified about this. And guess what? He's a pastor. He doesn't have a lot of money. But he wants to give a serious offering. So he told me this. He said, we didn't have much, but we had a new minivan. Their family had never bought a brand new car. <laughs> In his whole life, he had never bought a brand new car. He's ever just had some used cars. But for once, they saved up money, and they bought a brand new, I think it was a Honda minivan. It's expensive. And this is the only piece of treasure they had. So you know what? He, he turned to his wife and said, this is for the Lord. And when he said, let's sell the minivan, it hurt. It hurt. And she said, yes. So they sold the minivan. And then they went back to having only one car. Because, you know, they had two cars. You know, this is you got more than one car, right? So, and then they gave. Now, that's not the part I want to tell you. This is the part I want to tell you. So there's a deacon in the church. Of course, I won't say his name. There's a deacon in the church. Notice the pastor went back to having only one car. And they need two cars. He had a car. It's an older model car, but very reliable. Just a very reliable Japanese car, okay? When you, see, when you look at this car, you would know, yeah, it's one of those really reliable cars that you want to get as a used car. You know what he did? He gave it to the pastor. Just gave it to him. He says, Pastor, we honor your love. We honor your service. Never, made a, never said a word about it. Never said a peep about it. Just gave it to him. I had no idea about this, okay? So, and all the time, I, I didn't know, I never saw that minivan. Because <laughs> when I met him, that, that this has happened before. I came into the church after they had already acquired the building. So this was history for me. So as long as I knew Pastor Lee, he drove that old car. I thought that was his car. Apparently, it was gifted by that deacon. And the only reason I know this is because when he left for his next pastor, because he was called to a pastor in, in Korea in 2010, he gave that car back to the deacon. And he said, you know, I don't have a need for this in Korea, so let me give it back to you. You can use it to bless somebody else. And that's exactly what he did. Later on down the line, he gave that car to another pastor. And that's how I found out. It's not always about money. I mean, there's money involved, right? Your, your things. But do you notice all these are stories of love? <laughs> They're all stories of love. Stories of love, stories for love for Jesus, stories for love for his name, for his kingdom. And... Um, you know, um, I looked at that deacon. I knew, I mean, he didn't know that I knew, but I knew. And I looked at him, I was like, I looked at him differently. <laughs> like, 
you know what really matters. Now, I'll just give you one more example. This is just brief. It won't take very long. A few years, a few years ago, so just a, a couple weeks ago, we had one of our missionaries come here. And I won't say their names because, you know, for security reasons. So I'll, I'll just call them the Smiths. You know they're not called the Smiths. And um, the Smiths, they're from a Middle Eastern country, and they're citizens of that country. It's a Muslim-dominant society. And they have paid the price to follow Jesus. You know, the, the wife, her, um, her father just straight disowned her. Just, you're not my daughter. Your children are, my, are not my grandchildren. That's it. That's it. You're, you're, you, if you will not be Muslim, that's it. Just, that's it. You're, you're not mine. She has experienced that pain. And everywhere they go, you know, in this country, if you do not self-identify as Muslim, you, they barely don't, they don't even see you as a countryman. And they know what this is like. But they labor so they could reach their neighbors for Jesus. And about a few years ago, we made an ask of you, of those, for those of you who, you know, when we were coming still in the other church, we made this ask of you. They made an ask of the mission team. And they asked for, you know, several thousand dollars, um, which we didn't have, you know, in the, in, the, in the missions budget. And so we discussed it in the mission team. And so we asked it of the congregation. And we weren't sure if you'd come through. <laughs> so we said, you know, if uh, the church comes through, great. But if they don't, then whatever amount they don't give, we'll give it out of the mission budget. Let's do this. So the mission team made, and it was an unusual request because they said that they had some very expensive dental bills and they asked for a vacation. And, you know, we discussed that vacation. We said, you know, that's a, in America, that makes no sense to ask somebody else for vacation money. But if you are a Christian in a society that hates you and your life could be in danger, don't you think a vacation for your family and for your children is pretty darn important. And dental care for the children is really important. So we looked at those thousand dollars, you know, several thousand dollars in need, and we asked it of the congregation. And then we explained it. And to our great joy, this congregation came through <laughs> above and beyond the amount. Let me say this something. That was not just a gift to that family. It was a gift to that country. It was a gift to Jesus. Because Jesus loves that country. All those Muslims who do not know him and all the neighbors of these very, very special people are missionaries. It was a gift to Jesus. To them, it's a gift to that country. Can you think like this? Can you think like this? To those who have more will be given. It's the promise of God. It's his way. Can you think like this? Now let me close this message. This is a, I want to close this series with this thing. This verse from 26. This is how Jesus puts it. Do not be anxious about your life because that's why we're stingy. Isn't that why we're stingy? We're always counting. Now, I'm not trying to put guilt on you. There's another place, we, you know, a, a quote that I gave to you. It said, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. He sh you should decide in your heart to give. You should decide. You know what that means? You can decide not to give, and it's okay. 
So I want to make that very, very free. Okay? You should decide to give. <laughs> not from anxiety and certainly not from guilt. So the, the, in the world, we have this. We have the motivation of anxiety. If I give this, then I will have less for me. Oh, that's not good. And then we have the, we have the motivation from guilt, which is the religious. Oh, if, if I don't give, then I'm a bad Christian. But neither is from Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says you should decide. You should think about the promises from him. Do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Life is more than food or clothing, isn't it? Aren't you of more value than the birds that your father feeds? That's the way he puts it. And here's the way I want to put it this way. I want to close the message this way. The gospel is a word about what God did for us. He gave to us. He decided to give. He decided to give his son. To give the very life of his son. Better than money, more than money, is very blood. I want to say this. On the other side of the cross is a gift of resurrection. I want to say this. On the other side of the cross in the resurrection, because all sin and corruptions and impurities that we have and put into even our good deeds, because that's what we have, all the impurities of good deeds, because it's not even good. Like we, we try to be generous to somebody else, it's, it's filled with our pride and our condescension. And you know you owe me, don't you? <laughs> that's what we do. But on the other side of, of, the res, of the cross and the resurrection, all that you eat, all that you drink, will be baptized in something pure because the blood of Jesus washed all the dirt away, all the guilt away, all the selfishness and all the fear and anxieties. He washed it away. And it'll be baptized in pure, holy love forever. And if we live inside of that now, we can begin by grace because we can't make it pure, but he makes all our gifts and all our obedience, he can make it pure. And those gifts that are so broken and weak now will be so glorious and beautiful then. No longer will you have to be worried about if you are made to owe somebody else in a transactional relationship because you're worried that they're using you. No longer will you be prideful because you have more than someone else or you feel ashamed and low because you have less than them. No longer will you have to feel preoccupied with scarcity or worried about not having enough or anxious because, well, then I'll be hungry or I'll have less and I'll feel naked and worthless because I'll have to wear clothes that are only the dumpy people wear. And no longer will you be worried that those clothes will be the measure of you. Because that's really what it's about, isn't it? The food that we eat isn't just food. It's like, if I eat this food, then I can feel good about myself because we can afford the good food because then I know I'm one of the better off people in society. If I wear these clothes, then I won't feel bad about myself because I feel like my value, my life is not worth much because I'm so poor, I have to eat you know, poor people food and wear poor people's clothing. But isn't life more important than these things? And aren't you valued more than these things? 
didn't Jesus come and he made himself naked so he could clothe you, not with the clothes from the store, but with his honor and with his righteousness and with his generosity and with his heart. And every gift that you ever gift, there'll never be anything poisonous or anything fake or phony or bad in it ever again. It'll be love forever and forever. And every gift of, that you give, even if it's poor, and even if it's not much, but if you give it in love, it'll come back to you in love. Because love is forever. Would you want to eat and drink of love forever? Can you please think about that? It has something to do with even things like money. It's a, it's a place where if you could be faithful with little, the Lord, he's just waiting to give you so much. And you're storing up for yourself something that can never, it's like a love forever. We're going to go to the table of the Lord today. And I want you to think about this. We're going to eat and we're going to drink. To eat and drink, love forever. Let's pray. We are so preoccupied with these things. And our value is so wrapped up in our clothes and in our cars and in our equity that these are little things. We don't know how to hunger for the truly rich things. But now, Lord Jesus, may we come to your table May we confess these sins and brokenness to you, our poor and terrible hearts. And would you wash us with your precious blood, far more precious than money, that you gave your life so that we could have a better life, you could have real life, and that we could give real life. Not be preoccupied by what we get, but but be so glad to give. And in our giving, we can trust and believe we will receive a thousand, a million, infinitely more in love. Help us to go to this place as we go to your table now in Jesus' name.